Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. GM, I'm Dan Roberts. And I'm Liam Kelly. And this is GM from Decrypt. Okay, GM, welcome back to the pod, and welcome on for the first time, new co-host, Liam Kelly, for your first GM episode. What's up? GM, Dan, thanks for having me. Very excited. Really looking forward to speaking with OG Gitcoin lead, Kevin Owaki. That's right. We go way back with Kevin. Uh, we've interviewed him at a couple conferences. Uh, big East Denver guy. We've seen him a couple of years in a row or three years in a row at Mainnet. And as you said, uh, definitely an OG. I mean, he's like, this guy's like a, a giga brain, basically. Yeah, yeah. Far and beyond just uh, just crypto things. He's been a you know, open source software developer for a long time. Uh, his new product, Supermodular, sounds very interesting as well. Uh, I'm going to gather some more key tips and a bit of alpha from, from what he's working there in the uh, so-called refi space, regenerative finance space. Sounds pretty interesting. We oh, yeah, refi. It sounds very like, do-do-do-do-do-do. Um, it's funny, the last time I saw Kevin in person, so it'll be good to get him back on, or at least on the screen, we had a decrypt, like very small, intimate VIP crypto dinner in Boulder, and that's where Kevin lives. So that was when I discovered, and that was like a year and a half ago, but um, there is very much a vibrant crypto and DeFi scene in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, I don't know uh, too much about uh, Colorado or, or Boulder or Denver, in fact. I've been there, been there once, but uh, uh, from what I can read on crypto Twitter, and Twitter in general, it seems like a very lovely place. Um, so yeah, it doesn't surprise me that big brains come up like Kevin come out of there. Yeah, and it fits. It's very environmental and hippie. And uh, and the governor of Colorado, Jared Polis, came to our dinner. He's been uh, a very pro crypto politician, which is always interesting because they're rare. Uh, but great, this is exciting, Liam, to get you on, and we'll bring Kevin on now. Wonderful. Looking forward to it. Okay, Kevin Owaki, GM, welcome. GM, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Uh, let's start this way. When you and I last spoke, it was at Masari Mainnet, not maybe six months ago, but a year before that. And uh, we had a great interview. You were, of course, the CEO of Gitcoin. And now, fast forward, that is not the case. You have stepped back from that role as Gitcoin kind of decentralizes even further. Uh, update us on that situation. Yeah, totally. So for those of you who don't know, Gitcoin is a crowdfunding platform that's funded $50 million worth of public goods in the Ethereum ecosystem. And we noticed a, a, a sort of contradiction in that you can't have a, a centralized funding mechanism for a decentralized ecosystem. And uh, we made the decision to turn Gitcoin from a company into a DAO. So basically a decentralized protocol that could do crowdfunding. And we're built on top of this mechanism called quadratic funding. So Gitcoin is now a DAO uh, with a decentralized governance mechanism and a decentralized protocol that is used to distribute the funding. 
So uh, DAOs don't have CEOs. I have disaffiliated from Gitcoin. Uh, I still hold GTC. I'm still a big fan of them, still rooting them on from the edges. And now I am the CEO of a uh, venture studio that is building stuff in, in the regen ecosystem called Supermodular. So um, supermodularity is this idea in math that one plus one equals three, um, as opposed to submodularity where one plus one equals 1.5. So how do we build stuff that has exponential value gain in the Web3 ecosystem? How do we repeat the set success of Gitcoin? We're going to be launching new stuff zero to one very soon. But uh, yeah, cheering Gitcoin on from the sideline. They now have a decentralized governance and decentralized protocol. And uh, it's been really great to see the transformation from a company to a DAO is like, is like, you know, caterpillar to butterfly. It's, it's a, it's a really big change. Yeah. And we definitely want to get into super modular. Um, just another question on, on Gitcoin. First of all, when we first launched this podcast over a year ago, one of our first three guests uh, was Eric Voorhees. And we had kind of a similar yeah. chat because he had stepped away as CEO of Shapeshift. He said, now there is no Shapeshift, the company, there is no CEO. Uh, did he influence you at all? Did you talk to him? And then I guess I'd also ask, uh, did you want to have to step away? Did you feel like you had to? Uh, did did kind of the regulatory environment come into that at all for you? So Eric is a friend and uh, I, I would consider him to be a fellow Colorado compatriot, uh, although he's way more on the libertarian side of things and I'm way more of a lefty than he is. Oh, we both have the shared experience of turning a company into a DAO. Um, and I think it's been really great for Gitcoin and Shapeshift to kind of exchange notes about how to do that and exchange different processes uh, through the time. Um yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, when when uh, we realized that Gitcoin was becoming a pillar of the Ethereum ecosystem and that you couldn't have a centralized pillar of a decentralized ecosystem, I kind of had this gut wrenching feeling in my chest that, oh, my gosh, we're building it wrong. Uh, we've been climbing the wrong hill for the first we, Gitcoin. I started in 2017. We made the decision to decentralize in 2021. So it was like four years that we were doing it the wrong way. And that was really hard. Uh, decision to make, but I think it was the right one in the end. And, um, you know, I, I think that I did what's best for Gitcoin. I miss those people a lot. And, um, you know, it was my decision to, to, to sort of back away. But I, what I really hope, my highest hope is that this creates this sort of like fractal of success and uh, decentralization where we have we have like leaders that don't hold on to power, that don't hold on to the door frames on the way out, like you typically see with a CEO on their way out of a company. And instead, like really are building a bench of people who are going to replace them until you're totally decentralized. So, um, so yeah, uh, it, it's been a journey for sure, but I think it's what's best for Gitcoin and that's what's in, important. Yeah, it's interesting you say that you've sort of stepped away from, from Gitcoin uh, into uh, Supermodular, which I would like to you know talk talk about just shortly. But you still, in a lot of ways, for a lot of enthusiasts, remain to be uh, the Gitcoin guy or the, the face of Gitcoin, much like, I guess, you know, Vitalik is sort of the face of Ethereum. And, and when he speaks, you know, Ethereum holders, that they, they listen. So how do you sort of, you know, you're not quite a CEO and in crypto it works a little bit differently, but how do you sort of, uh, you know, effectively back away from a project so as not to have any, you know, you know, too much influence over what's happening and, and their decentralization efforts. Yeah. yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I've been like sort of like an introverted nerd my whole life. And so, you know, the fact that I can step into a room and be a bull in a china shop and people care what I think is like kind of a new thing to adjust to uh, like psychologically as well. And what I've been trying to do is just not be a bull in the china shop. So um, Gitcoin has a delegated governance structure. And so I delegate tokens to the people who 
I know are shepherding Gitcoin forward. And we do talk about what my views are on things. But at the end of the day, at the end of every conversation, I would say it's up to you what to do. I trust you. I delegated it to you. It's your decision making. And, and you know, I really think it's it's just about um, empowering the next generation of leaders. And it similar to in a corporate environment in which you you bring on a bench of leaders and you're cultivating them by by handing off uh, handing off power over time. And also the beautiful thing that no one talks about, by the way, here's a little alpha leak about decentralizing, uh, is that you're not just decentralizing power, you're decentralizing stress. I just went on a three-day ski trip up in the mountains in Colorado. I couldn't do that when I was running Gitcoin. Um, so decentralization of power comes along with decentralization of stress. And uh, it's been a great it's been a great journey to pass pass the torch, but I, I'm learning every day and learning to let go emotionally and um, and to trust the people that are involved in in Gitcoin. And uh, you know, so far so good. They they launched the Alpha Protocol, uh, which is which is something that the protocol, the crowdfunding protocol, and that's not something that that happened while I was there. So uh, they're pushing things forward and coming up with new ideas and and stuff that I could never come up with. And I think that that's the really the beauty of networks over hierarchies is the ability to assimilate information from the edges and we're starting to see that at Gitcoin. I think this is the first time I've heard someone uh, you know, define decentralization as sort of a, a mental health hack. Um, I think for <laughs> those of us who've been in crypto for long enough, uh, decentralization has been uh, you know, the, you know, the end of my weekends and things like that. But uh, you know, so it's refreshing to hear this alternative. Uh, but I did yeah. want to also yeah, flip gears to, to Supermodular and talk a little bit about uh, regenerative finance or refi. Uh, I've seen a lot of this it's been hashtag on Twitter and a lot of chat uh, about this idea, but maybe you can give us sort of the 30,000 view of, of what refi is and I guess it's promise. Sure. So refi uh, stands for regenerative finance. Um, a regenerative system is something that increases in resource capacity over time. If you're watching on video, I'm making an up and to the right graph uh, with my hands and um, not just increases in capacity over time, but like when it hits a shock event, it can be anti-fragile and it can respond to that by getting stronger over time. And so, um, you know, I think that um, it's all well and fun to degen into uh, different things, but let's just keep in mind that the root, uh, the degen, the root of that word is degeneration, which means resource capacity goes down over time. And you know, if you invest in like I don't know an ohm fork or or something in the last cycle, then you know what it feels like to degenerate over time. Um, and, uh, oh, so, and, and by the way, when I talk about resource capacity, I'm not just talking about financial resources. I'm talking about, uh, spiritual, uh, sp spiritual capital, intellectual capital, material capital, cultural capital, living capital. So how do we use crypto to, uh, create a bridge between finance and material capital and regenerate the earth? How do we regen to regenerate intellectual societies? That's what I would call decentralized science. Um, how do we regenerate the regenerators? I think that's kind of the niche that Gitcoin has gotten into. So, um, you know, uh, I, I, I think that Gitcoin has focused on this thing called public goods for a long time. And public goods are good. Public goods are like things like clean air and, uh, and clean water and open source software and transportation networks, things that we all use, but we don't actually ever pay for. But the, I found myself getting into this, this, this conversation at like cocktail parties or like just explaining what public goods are. And it felt like it would take like three or four minutes to really explain what public goods are. Whereas regen, it feels a little bit more visceral. Like people understand what it means to regenerate a little bit more viscerally. And so we've pivoted a, at least I've pivoted a lot of my my thinking and talking into talking about regen um, and trying to regen pill some degens and uh, and I think refi is is a budding in e ecosystem of of people who are trying to use crypto uh, for regenerative means. 
it, it's funny, and you mentioned you know spiritual among the the many elements of this. Uh, our contributor Jeff Benson wrote that refi for now is kind of more of a vibe that than a hard mm. and fast category. Do do you think that's fair? Um, I think that there's in a decentralized ecosystem, there's going to be a vocabulary that develops in many different ways. And um, I have no problem with that definition. It is a vibe uh, for sure. But I think that, you know, we want to take that vibe. We want to take that cultural capital, uh, if you may, and we want to turn it into crypto economic protocols that are going to create that vibe at scale and actually create a world in which everyone can uh, can work in their local communities and to make their make their their rent by doing so so um the vibe might be the the sort of like the kindling for the for something that the spark that's something bigger is it is it hard kevin to be kind of trying to rebrand i would say rebrand uh parts of crypto and DeFi as you know environmentally positive and we should mention your your book uh, green pilled when so many people out there uh, their image of crypto because of Bitcoin mining is basically the opposite. You know, they've just vaguely heard that crypto is bad for the environment and Bitcoin kills the rainforest. Um, do, do you feel sometimes like that's an uphill battle for now? Um, yes, it is. But I also think that, uh, you know, uh, we don't throw out the whole internet because we don't like porn sites and because we don't like journalists, we don't throw out the whole internet. Like I kind of think of crypto as like, for in crypto, there's tens of thousands of token economic systems of crypto economic protocols. And let's not throw out the whole thing because we don't like the fact that Bitcoin's very energy wasteful. Same thing with the web. You know, you, you might not like a website or two, but just don't go to it. It doesn't mean that you shut down the entire internet because you don't like a website or two. And so, you know, my, my response to that sort of criticism is, okay, let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. And, um, you know, there are parts of crypto that are very environmentally friendly and, and actually environmentally positive. And I guess we can get more into that the, sort of the ideological uh, context of, of refi and, and how crypto fits into that sort of thing. But maybe to kind of bring this to a, to a concrete example, maybe you can t discuss a little bit about some of the things or some of the initiatives that uh, Supermodular is, is kind of uh, move, trying to move forward or, or fund. Uh, in what you would call this, you know, refi uh, umbrella. Maybe that'll help uh, make this sure. a clearer. So the story that we're telling about Supermodular is that we're a venture studio that ships regen ecosystems. And um, I'd say Gitcoin is our first big success. So that's an ecosystem that we created. We spun out. It's decentralized. It's, it's, it's on its own. Um, the kid has gone off to college. And, you know, the question is, what's the next big zero to one build that we're going to be doing? Um, have been collaborating with Protocol Labs on a project called HyperCerts, which you can kind of think of as just uh, carbon credits, but on any impact vector. So instead of just, I took 10 tons of carbon out of the atmosphere, it could be, I fixed 10 potholes in my local community. I funded 10 months of open source software. Uh, I built this, this, privacy, this privacy maintaining tool. And so um, the idea is that as these impact DAOs are creating positive impact for the world, um, they can issue hyperserts by doing that. And what that does is it allows us to track the positive impact that crypto projects are, are having. And hey, what if there was a world in which we could engineer buy pressure for these, these hyperserts? We already know there's buy pressure for 10K PFP projects in the, in the ecosystem. What if we could uh, you know, go from virtue signaling about what our, our virtues are to proof of virtue, where people are purchasing hyperserts, they're purchasing the impact that these impact 
DAOs are, are creating because they want a virtue signal or maybe they have an ESG mandate or something like that. Well, what's incredible about hypercerts is that you've now taken any impact DAO that previously had to like run like a grant application, like donation to high net worth donor program. And now they're just making money by creating impact by minting these hypercerts. And I can't tell you what, a, as someone who's been in and around nonprofits for years, what a simplification this is of impact DAO business models, just to be able to create impact and to be able to make money by doing that. And so I think that hypercerts could be a really interesting primitive to track positive impact for the world. And that's a, a collaboration that we've got with protocol labs that we're working on right now, uh, among, among a couple other like sprouts, uh, small seedlings of projects that we hope to grow into the next Gitcoin. So for, can I just to ask, like, ask a few more questions about hy hypersearch specifically, yeah. uh, I think, I think the 10 potholes example is, is interesting. And that's something that we can all kind of grok in, intuitively fixing potholes mm -hmm. in your street, you know, is a, is a good thing. So how would this work? So a DAO would be like an, in a neighborhood, for instance, a, a DAO of neighbors, for instance, would form and be like, there's all these potholes. How can we fix them? Let's pool our money. And then whoever basically fills them first and kind of tells us they get that, they get the pot. How, how does this work exactly? Yep. So um, basically you can go to hypercerts.xyz, which is the website for hypercerts and you can actually mint a hypercert right now. Um, yeah. So basically the idea would be that people would in their local community would fix the potholes, whether through a DAO or just individually, they mint a hypercert and um and then basically there's there's this role called the impact evaluator. And because anyone can mint a hypercert, it's hard to know if uh, if it was just made up or not. So you would get someone else in your community to pr play the role of the impact evaluator to come take a picture of the pothole and say, hey, it's filled and this person did it. Um, and then you've got a hypercert that has an evaluation on it that says that this impact is actually legit. And then, you know, if there's someone in your community who cares about the potholes being fixed, say the local government or a nonprofit or just a community citizens, then they could fund that hypercert. So they could purchase that hyper hypercert for you. Um, this is sort of a silly toy example because it's a local, you know, a local community. The the local government should be filling the pothole, uh, not the, they don't. the community members. They don't. <laughs> right. And so and so here's the cool thing about working on impact in public goods is that there's ten trillion dollars a year that's spent on public goods through local governments. Uh, regional governments and through nonprofits. And so what if we could create a less administrative overhead way of creating networks of impact um, that cuts out these like CEOs of NGOs and nonprofits that make uh, tens of millions of dollars per year? What if we could create impact networks instead of nonprofit uh, hierarchies is sort of like the, the big idea. And they, because their networks, they'd be more responsive to what citizens actually want in the local communities. So that's, 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 that's like the profit motive behind behind impact dials or like, I guess, like the business model behind impact dials. It, it sounds like a much better uh, form of next door because the next door as I know <laughs> it, uh, the, the one I'm in, it's just people complaining like a teenager was driving way too fast on this one road and his, his parents should be yeah. upset. <laughs> well, and, and you know, this is what I mean when I talk about crypto regenerating the world is that, um, you know, if we can take people who are just kind of like keyboard jockeys and virtue signaling on the internet and bring them to proof of virtue as like a cultural and spiritual uh, and financial shift, if you can earn money by just fixing that pothole in your local community, maybe you'll get off your ass and stop complaining about your local community and actually contribute to your local community. So that's kind of the movement that we're trying to create. I love it.
It's, it's a great soundbite. Um, I wanted well, to... Well, it's, uh, don't give it too much credit. It's just a theory right now. I mean, we're well, just at the very tip of the iceberg of, of creating this. And we've seen it a little bit in Gitcoin. But um, the next 10 years, I think, are going to be pivotal for creating this kind of movement. No, there's a lot of appeal there. Um, I wanted to push you further. You know, you mentioned impact DAOs. Let's just talk a little bit about how the concept of DAOs uh, has evolved. Because it wasn't so long ago that uh, the more prominent form of DAO was let's all pool our crypto and like buy something stupid. You know, I shouldn't say stupid, yeah. but uh, you know, constitution DAO. Just, and then there was a, a just DAO the U S constitution, uh, you know, right. <laughs> not, not at all stupid, but something stupid about, I don't know. I shouldn't have said stupid, but I know, you know, it, what it's, I mean. it's, it's good. It's good at capital formation, right? You know, sure. DAOs are really good at, at, at raising money. Yeah. And um, that kind of had the unfortunate effect, I think of making the idea of DAOs like a punchline for the mainstream media and for other mm-hmm. folks, because it was like, ha, ha ha, look at these crypto nerds. They tried to buy the constitution. They got outbid. And also they were extremely public about exactly how much money they had. So the rich guy yeah. on the other hand, who happens to be someone who hates crypto, knew exactly how much to bid. And that was just the most prominent example. But another one was the, the Dow manuscript. And then, oops, these crypto nerds didn't realize that just because they bought a copy of the thing doesn't mean they can actually own the IP. Fine. Um, now it has evolved a little bit. Do you think we're in a, a better place, a more promising place? I mean, the other thing I'd mention is for a while there at the peak of the hype, people would say DAOs are the new form of company. And I was a little mm-hmm. skeptical about that. I mean, you still need people in uh, management roles to sort of keep the trains running. Right. Well, I really love this uh, piece that Vitalik wrote uh, entitled DAOs are not corporations, where decentralization matters in autonomous organizations. And he talks about decentralization for credible fairness, which means credible neutrality. There's no CEO in the back that's going to, you know, change the rules on you. Decentralization for censorship resistance, which, you know, in the United States where we have pretty strong rule of law, we don't need to worry about this. But if you work in a or if you live in a country in which you have to worry about being censored, uh, that's a big deal. And then decentralization for better decision making in concave environments, which is just a mathy way of saying democratic environment. So, um, you know, I think that DAOs could be like a superset of what all corporations are. And you could have just a corporation on the blockchain. But if you need those three attributes, credible neutrality, censorship resistance, or democratic environment, then I think DAOs enable something that companies don't even enable. So, um, yeah, you're right. We're in the early innings and some of the early examples of DAOs are just silly kind of things. But I mean, look at MakerDAO, billions of dollars of stable coins and hasn't lost the peg uh, other than like for like 72 hours here and there. Um, and, and I just think it's really incredible to, to create a decentralized network that's able to emulate the stability of the U.S. dollar. So I think that there's real opportunity here, but it just depends on whether you're looking at the trivial examples of DAOs or if you're looking at the truly foundational aspects of DAOs. Um, you touched on, on MakerDAO, and, and we're talking a lot about public goods as well. And I, I think, yeah, one could, you know... Uh, I think there's an argue for and against that Ethereum is truly a public good, but I would kind of drill down too. Do you think like something like MakerDAO is a public good? Do you think MakerDAO is also, uh, you know, part of this refi movement as well? Would you, could you bunch it in there as well? Well, I'll tell you, I've been running, uh, well, I ran Gitcoin from 2017 to 2021. And uh, we started off as a gig platform, like Upwork on chain. And I can't tell you, man, we went from paying people in ETH, which was a lot of fun all the way up. Like you, you, ETH was 400 bucks and you win a bounty and then it's worth 700 bucks when you get paid out. That's awesome. Um, but then all the way down, when it's 700 going to 400, the workers are like, Ugh. like 
Um, and so right around that time, Die got released and the stablecoin got released. And we started paying people on on the gig platform aspect of Gitcoin using Maker or using Die, And people loved it. The stability of, of like, this is going to be worth the same in 30 days was, I mean, I think that was the public good that Maker was exporting to the world. And, um, you know, a lot of these things have their double-sided marketplaces where one aspect is a private good and, and the other side of the market is a public good. Uh, so, you know, the whole, like, is it a public good or not is, is sort of a gray area. I think Maker is, is exporting public good to the, to the Web3 ecosystem. And, you know, it's been interesting to see their governance proposals about making Maker carbon neutral or uh, what was it? They were going to be like the first like green DAO or something like that. I haven't exactly followed very closely what uh, where that governance proposal landed, but to see them think about banking being uh, environmentally friendly, I think is 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 a leading thing for the Web3 ecosystem. So I'll be curious to see where that shakes out. We'll be right back after this. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, it, I've got a follow for you there because we're talking about Maker and, and Die. It's, it's interesting, Kevin, that you said, uh, other than you know losing its peg for 72 hours here and there. Uh, as we take this, we just a week ago had the USDC crisis because Circle yeah. had money in, in SVB. And so it went as low as 87 cents. And the whole thing lasted maybe two full days. Um, yep. it sounds like you think you're in the camp of that's okay. That shouldn't shake confidence. I mean, I was more like, well, you know, if it's supposed to stay at a dollar and went to 87 cents, ain't great. Um, why should that not, you know, shake people's confidence in, in stable coins like USDC? Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on what your Overton window of what's possible is like, I saw UST within 24 hours go from $1 to $0. Uh, <laughs> right. and so maybe my Overton windows. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think that, um, you know, it's it's so funny to hear in the mainstream media people talking about uh, the banks need to be protected from crypto. But in crypto, we're talking about uh, DAI had USDC on its balance sheet, which is a centralized stablecoin uh, where some of their reserves was in SVB. And uh, because of that, that's what caused USDC and DAI to lose their pegs during that 48 hours. And, you know, it, it turns out that the, the circle got the money recovered and that's why it regained the peg. And so, um, you know, when we talk about anti-fragility and being able to respond to shocks, I think it's important that these, that these systems are able to respond to shock events like SVB collapsing, for example. But, um, you know, I, I think as long as you is for me, the distinction between UST and USDC, uh, was that USDC went down to like 95 cents for 48 hours and then they regained the peg after that, whereas UST lost the peg and then never recovered and went straight to zero. So it's how do you respond to shock events and, and how fragile are you, I think, is the delineating factor for me. And it's interesting, we, we kind of talk about how which of these stable coins sort of, you know, thrived or, or, or you know, uh, succeeded amid this chaos. USDC's market cap dropped and it doesn't look, look like it's, it's really recovered yet, whereas DAI, the market cap dropped as it lost its peg briefly due to this UST contagion, but it's, yeah. you know, the market cap has since, since shot up past, you know, 
uh, the, the, you know, his market cap before the, the crisis. And I think that's sort of a definitive example of what you're talking about in terms of refi. It's, it's rebounded after amid this chaos. And yeah. I guess I was wondering, I mean, we know that, you know, dies back to in, in large part by USDC. Why do you think folks have decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm jumping the boat from USDC. I'm going straight into die now. Uh, why do you think people have made that shift in, in such a, you know, kind of chaotic moment? Yeah. I mean, decentralization is anti-fragility is the simplest answer I, sh- I could give. Um, by the way, can we just talk about for a second, I- I'm going to shitpost a little bit, but like, why is it called fractional reserve banking in traditional banks, but it's called under collateralization in, in DeFi or algorithmic stable coins? Like, feels like there's a little bit of a, of a double standard there that uh, these traditional banks can do fractional reserve stuff and it has to be fully collateralized in crypto. There's, there's probably something there about where uh, stability stability comes from. We don't have an FDIC to back die, and so you know the fact it has to be fully collateralized in order to maintain its peg. And I think um, there's something really Im- important about from first principles the 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 coins able to be anti fragile in that way. But you know to the extent that it depends on USDC, uh, you're kind of depending on FDIC backing of of the banks at that point. Well, it's like it all goes back to crypto people or projects are still trying to use terms that convince non-crypto people. Um, you mm-hmm. know, like very often there's a couple of people, it's people who are more in your kind of DeFi world. But when I ask about like, oh, but the mainstream doesn't understand this or there's still too much friction or occasionally the, the less common answer is people say, well, that's fine. Then they won't understand it. You know what I mean? Like they're, mm-hmm. you know, that's the ex- the overstressing of we're collateralized, we're collateralized. And here's here are the mainstream bank accounts where we have the reserves. Well, it's not the crypto people that need to hear that to feel confident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, this is where, you know, as a software engineer, I'm just a bad marketer. and I don't know how to convince people <laughs> of anything. Uh, my, my formula with Gitcoin, by the way, has always just been like, try to provide as much value as possible because actions work, speak so much better than words. And, you know, uh, the number one thing anyone in crypto can do is try to create projects that have actual utility for the world. Uh, if we want to convert more people into crypto. And by the way, we should do things that have utility for the world because that's a means and an end in itself um, before it's a means to like, you know, pumping our bags and, and crypto going up and, and stuff like that. So that's that's what I'd like to see in the next cycle. But I don't know. We'll see. It's a decentralized ecosystem and I'm just one node in the network. Speaking of excellent utility in, in crypto networks, I'd like to talk about the uh, latest NFT collection, uh, the Quadratic Voting NFT collection. It looks like it's gathered a lot of steam. I think... Uh, last time I checked on uh, OpenSea, it's got like 11,300 Ethereum in, in trading volume. Can you walk us through a little bit about how this collection came to be? I noticed there's a few there's a few signed uh, assets or, or pieces pieces in there as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just talk a little bit about the ideation for this. The the art is pretty cool. It's very unique. Um, and you know, Quadric Funny yeah. has kind of become a meme. I think in the, in the crypto space, it's such a powerful idea. So you could talk us a little bit through this. Yeah, uh, you're, so you're asking about the Gitcoin presents the the collection, precisely. Yeah, cool. Well, uh, you know, this it, it kind of it starts where it ends a little bit. Uh, you know, we talked about Gitcoin decentralizing into a DAO um, and its governance structure being up to the people who are involved in governance, not just me anymore. So, and 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 when you ask me about the ideation process behind Gitcoin presents, I actually have no idea because you know the the DAO and the marketing work stream is in charge of this stuff now. But what I do know is that they came to me and uh, the marketing work stream uh, said basically like, hey, uh, Glenn and Vitalik and Zoe wrote this paper on quadratic funding, which uh, for those of you who don't know is the mechanism that uh, funds public goods on Gitcoin. Were you going to say something, Liam? 
No. Okay, cool. Uh, so basically quadratic funding is this really beautiful mechanism that helps allocate capital in a democratic way. And Gitcoin's built on top of quadratic funding. Um, and, and by the way, like Gitcoin's original mission is to fund open source software. So it's kind of like apropos that we're all standing on the shoulders of giants, like all these open source packages and everything. Um, and Gitcoin itself is built on quadratic funding and all of this open source uh, this, this, this open source ecosystem. And, um, we just all think that we're standing on the shoulders of giants all the time. And, um, and I know that there's a ton of reverence for Glenn and Vitalik for writing the quadratic funding paper at, uh, at Gitcoin. And so they basically just asked like, Hey, Glenn, Vitalik, Zoe, will you sign the quadratic funding paper? We'll turn it into an NFT and, um, basically allow, uh, the NFT community to enter the Gitcoin ecosystem by purchasing a piece of internet history, this quadratic funding paper. And so that was the, uh, the drop from Gitcoin was basically auctioning off uh, versions of the quadratic funding paper that were signed by Vitalik and Glenn and Zoe. And they also twisted my arm a little bit and got me to write a little bit about quadratic funding. And I also signed that. So, so basically what this was, was just a drop that was meant to fund public goods, all of the proceeds. Well, I think the Gitcoin portion of the proceeds went to uh, fund the Gitcoin matching pool and, and it allowed the NFT ecosystem to learn a little bit about Gitcoin along the way. And um, by the way, I just want to like, while we're doing this episode, I just want to go on record and say that Vitalik uh, was very nice in that he signed the quadratic funding paper. Um, but then I was really dismayed to see on Twitter that people were calling it a Vitalik NFT drop. Um, he had nothing to do with the drop as far as I know. He just signed the paper to be nice to Gitcoin and to help out a little bit. And so, you know, to see people like shitposting about how, uh, I don't know, this is going to get you access to Vitalik or his decision making or anything like that. Kind of, it made me feel like the DGENs kind of ran away a little bit with the narrative there. But um, but yeah, to answer your question, it was a... Uh, a uh, basically, we, we think an artifact of internet history to have a signed copy of of the paper from the paper authors, and that was the drop from from Gitcoin. And, and again, Gitcoin the DAO conceived of this and executed of it. I only know what is available publicly because it's a DAO, and I'm not in charge of it anymore. You've given us a, a great segue to just get your take on NFTs in general. I mean, as you alluded to, people feel very strongly. Uh, there's the people who you know they would buy in and, and collect something like that because they just are NFT people. And then maybe it brought some new people into the NFT space by doing that. But, um, you know, do you own a bunch, not own any, do you have a take on like, it even feels like there's multiple corners now evolving. There's still like the, you know, monkey JPEG flipping corner. And then there's the, uh, we can use NFTs for real utility and maybe even for, um, for crypto for good, you know, like in the case of Ukraine. Yeah. Um, oh man, it's just like such a hard question. Like, like, are, what are the utility of NFTs is like asking what are, what's the utility of, uh, of like a organization, like the aperture is just so wide there. There's many different types of organizations and there's many different types of non-fungible assets in the world. And I'm a, I'm a believer that NFTs are going to, I think that they they have the right semantic schema to do things like hypercerts, tracking the impact that we create and fractionalizing that, uh, to take the deed of your house and to put it on chain, to create uh, a digital identity and profile pictures. And so I, my prediction would be 
that I think that over the next five years, we're going to see a fracturing of the NFT space into several different subspaces that I don't know, by 2025, probably will each be as as big as the 2021 NFT space as a whole. And that the fraction, like in 2025, we're going to be talking about profile picture NFTs versus like deeds to a house NFTs or um, pieces of internet history NFTs. And the, each of those sub ecosystems could be as big as NFTs were in, in 2021 from from there. So not financial advice, but just like a prediction that I have about how everything's going to evolve. Yeah, I guess in some one could say that you're rather bullish on, on NFTs just continuing to expand. Um, but you, you mentioned the term again, and before I, I let you go uh, on on that, uh, can you explain what what is hypercert? What is this word you're saying? Where where did it come from? Oh. And yeah, it's kind of an odd an odd one. I, just well, I was thinking cert must be that. certification. Yeah, so hypercerts are the like tracking impact. Like uh, I took ten tons of carbon out of the atmosphere. I fixed ten potholes in my community. I helped ten little old ladies cross the street. Um, so, uh, basically they're like impact certificates, but the idea was to make them, you know, how like links became hyperlinks online. Uh, uh. so like that, that's the idea behind hypercerts is that they're hyper certificates because they're imbued with all this metadata, by the way, to bring it back to your question about NFTs, they're NFTs. So, uh, that's what makes them hyper certificates. Everything is going to be an NFT, but we're not going to call it that. That's my take. I know I'm not the only person to say that, but it's just, it's all tokens, you know? Um, especially if people are so triggered by the acronym. What did Reddit call them? It was like community badges or something like that. Oh, yeah, digital to get people collectibles. Who hated blockchain. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. It's so uh, transparent. People yeah. are like, we know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, but you know, uh, you know, the semantics matter a lot in how you present things. So I'll be curious to see what final form they take. Um, speaking of semantics, and as you said earlier, you're doing a hand motion, and uh, there's a podcast my wife listens to, a sports podcast, where they call it Bad Radio. But, um, you know, things that you can only see if you're watching the video. Uh, tell us about the T-shirt you're wearing. Yeah, so uh, a little piece of bad radio here. <laughs> uh, my T-shirt says, what if it turned out better than you imagined? And it's a T-shirt that I got from the GM bus, which was a bus that was traveling around the United States in 2022, going from conference to conference and trying to project optimism into the crypto community. So I got this this T-shirt from the GM bus, and I'm on the GM podcast right now. So I figured it was apropos to to wear it and create some. Uh, would you call it bad radio to have something that only the visual listeners can see? Love that. <laughs> and and I guess we, we kind of danced around the subject a little bit, talking about public goods and also you know open source development and that kind of thing. And I think intuitively people can understand why you know clean air and you know like uncontaminated water and, and, and smooth streets are, are all like advantageous and, and things and, and good for society overall. But I guess maybe what is it, you know, you're, you're an open source uh, developer as well, or you dabble in, in that arena as well. What is sort of your, your, you know, why is open source development something worth funding and, and sort of worth fighting for? Open source software, there was a study in 2014 by, I think it was the Drucker Forum that said something like $400 billion per year in economic value is created by open source. Boy, 2014 is like eight years ago. So it's probably like 5X that now, um, especially with crypto networks being built on top of open source. And um, with Gitcoin, at least when I was involved with it, the mission was stated as grow open source. And the asymmetry we saw was that $400 billion per year in economic value is created by open source software. But the people who are working on open source 
are not able to pay their bills by doing that. They have to go get a job at JP Morgan and then work on open source nights and weekends away from their family. I just feel like that was a really big injustice for the world, um, but also economically inefficient because you were seeing open source maintainers that were abandoning their packages. They couldn't pay their bills by doing the work. So, you know, why would they keep showing up and answering all your bug requests? Uh, and so, so basically it's, it's, it's correcting the asymmetry between value creation and value capture um, and by giving the p projects that are just creating value for public goods a way to make money. That's what Gitcoin has done. It's five, $50 million worth of funding for open source and adjacent public goods. And um, when we started working with Vitalik on quadratic funding, he kind of public, public goods pilled us. Um, hey, Kevin, it's not just open source that's a public good, but it's decentralized science and it's diversity, equity, inclusion. It's it's funding humanitarian causes in Ukraine. Uh, during COVID, we had people who were raising money for COVID pandemic response uh, on Gitcoin. So, you know, herd immunity is a public good. And um and so basically, you know, from open source, you can follow kind of follow that line to all different sorts of public goods. What if you could use quadratic funding to fund lots of different public goods? And I think that the, what the public goods to me that are the most interesting out there is like my local government is responsible for the public goods in my local city, Boulder, Colorado. The state of Colorado is responsible for Colorado's public goods. The United States is responsible for the United States public goods, but there's no real body that has legitimacy in creating public goods for the entire world. I mean, maybe like the UN, but like even that's like slow as molasses and it only really represents the, the, the West. What if we could use the internet and create protocols for supporting global public goods? Um, now we've got such a globalized world and there are things like open source software, which is a transnational public good. Herd immunity, which is a transnational public good. Um, privacy, in a world in which there's surveillance capitalism, I think is a public good. And so it's about creating networks and protocols that can support uh, global public goods that I think is like the big opportunity that blockchain has because there's such a, there's not like a world government and I don't think there should be a world government, but if we can create world uh, coordination mechanisms to support the world's global public goods, I think that that's a net export of a uh, net positive export for crypto to humanity and a great use case for, for crypto economic networks. And that's what Gitcoin and Ethereum and CLR fund and Giveth and all these other projects that are regen web three are, are aiming to do for the world. Nice. You know, as we start to wind down, Kevin, uh, we, we sort of climb out of the, the rabbit hole a little bit and try to do some more fun stuff or, or less technical. I wanted to make sure I ask you, uh, we just had ETH Denver recently. And, um, mm. you know, you've, you've kind of become like an ETH Denver celebrity at this point uh, on the ground there. What did you make of this year's, especially in this bear market? Um, how was the vibe uh, from afar? I had just gone to NFT Paris, and that's why I didn't go to ETH Denver this year. But from afar, there was, mm. I remember day one, I can't, I'm sure you'll remember who it was, but some crypto influencer person was dressed up in a costume and got roasted on mainstream Twitter. And so there were people yeah. sort of on the outside looking in, making fun of the the crazy crypto folks. Uh, but what did you walk away from it this year thinking? Yeah. Well, what's the meme? First they ignore us, then they laugh at you, then they fight you. Right. So at least we're on step two. Uh, ETH Denver is a vibe. We've got Governor Jared Polis, who's very crypto friendly, wants to create an innovation state in Colorado. And it's just a breath of fresh air in which crypto is kind of getting pounded from all sides in the public eye and from regulators. 
I'd say the vibe was pretty high. Lots of builders building stuff and lots of action in Colorado for Web3. So it made me very optimistic to see how much traction the Web3 community has had. And I spent most of the... ETH Denver has gotten so big that there's now like several sub communities. There was the DAO area, there was DeFi area. The John John Power named the area that Supermodulus booth was in, Regenlandia. Uh, so it's Regenlandia. I, I, and uh, I hung out a, a lot there. And, and I would say that the... The regen use cases and impact owls are just like this simmering, like this slow burn of of Web three activity, and the vibe in in that area was 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 pretty high. So I think that people are hurting a little bit for funding, and the and it's kind of weeded out a lot of the speculators. But the builders are still there, and they're still building, and so I, I'm excited to see how ETH Denver evolves from here. Awesome. And you mentioned the builders, uh, and you mentioned you know speculation and general general degenerism or de, i don't know what the term is you'll have to forgive me but i guess i would be curious on your take because a lot of that also happens on uh, on twitter and i guess you're, you're a, a quick you know way to end this perhaps is uh you know overrated or underrated crypto twitter do you find it valuable do you find it useless do you find it just fun i mean do you think it's uh you think crypto twitter is a public good or perhaps not yeah i think it's all those things uh it's uh overrated underrated value valueless uh hilarious it's full of alpha all uh, you could just scroll your feed and you could get all those things all, all at once it's a uh, crypto twitter is is everything everywhere all at once so i'm going to say overrated and underrated depending on where you are in your feed good topical oscars reference too with the movie mm-hmm. um, <laughs> let, let's end this way we mentioned you know your own book that you put out green pilled uh something we've been asking guests recently with some interesting results uh what are you reading what have you been enjoying recently on uh printed dead tree matter yeah um i've been reading uh a pragmatist guide to governance recently which i just think is it's it's really incredible to learn about all these different trends in governance that have evolved in like they talk about governance in like family offices to uh high school uh cliques to organizations, to to DAOs, and I just think that it's really interesting to 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 learn about patterns and governance from there. Um, I've been reading the Art of Alignment, which is like a guide to inclusive leadership and um, doing dialogue mapping, basically like creating shared understanding of abstract problems with people across the world. Like I know, Gitcoin and Supermodular have have employees and contributors on five or six different continents. And so just basically figuring out how to create an inclusive environment where they can all add to uh, understanding the world's most wicked problems. So a, a lot of stuff on governance and leadership has has been on my bookshelf recently. You need a novel in there, some sci-fi, something. Yeah, I think, well... <laughs> Uh, you you only asked about books, but uh, I have been I, I consume every piece of Star Trek content that is ever out there. So I don't I don't know if it counts if it's just a uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you just gave me the Spock uh, <laughs> the Spock symbol right there. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm yeah, a big Star Trek idea. fan, and 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 I don't know like Star, uh, I think that science fiction and in futuristic novels kind of give you a way of projecting the current trends out into the future and. Uh, Star Trek, at least, is I find to be a very optimistic vision of humanity in which we've all gone out to the stars and created this pluralistic world of infinite diversity and infinite combinations. And and uh, Star Trek, I, I think, is is something that we could all shoot for optimistically. But I also really like dystopian 
sci-fi as well. I, I read this book uh, called The Water Knife uh, recently, which was all about uh, early early 2020s in which uh, the Western states are all fighting over water with each other, which is like maybe a little bit too close to home living living in Colorado. Um, I read this book called The Singular or this series of books called The Singularity Series, which is all about AI that... Um, it goes 20, there's four, four books, um, in one set in 2025, 2035, 2045, and then 2055. And the progression of the book is the story is a story of AI taking over the world, like progressively, uh, every 10 years, it gives you a snapshot of how AI has infiltrated humanity's life. And I read that before the chat GPT three stuff happened. So maybe I'll have to, to come back to that. But yeah, uh, alternating between optimism and dystopian sci-fi, I think is a really great thing for a technologist to do as well. Awesome. Uh, and ending on AI is also very nice for uh, a crypto podcast. Uh, that's all the questions that, that I have. Uh, th thank you, Kevin, for the, uh, the insight and the, and the laughs. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, it's great to be here. That's our show today. Thanks for listening. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to GM wherever you podcast. And if you head to our website, decrypt.co, you can find the full videos of every interview with every guest. Finally, we have a Telegram room for our loyal GM listeners. The address is t.me slash GM podcast. If you pop in there, you can get direct access to the co-hosts. You can suggest future guests, submit comments, and ask questions. It's t.me slash GM podcast. GM. GM.